But I don't think that it's that it's ever too late to break away from a label that you've had about yourself. And I do think that something happens to us at around midlife. I mean, there are, there are various points where this can happen, but I do think there's something that happens to us around midlife where we have this, uh, we wake up to the fact that time is limited and that we're more than halfway through our careers and possibly more than halfway through our lives. And if we're not going to do something for ourselves, something that gives us meaning and joy and challenge and all those things. Now, when exactly are we going to do that? You know, because in 15 years, we'll, I'll be in my 60s. And sure, I might want to start a new business in my 60s, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it then. I don't know what my health will be like, but I know that right now I can. So now's the time. That's Blair Palmer. And I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day Podcast. I am really excited to have this amazing woman, Blair Palmer, on the show today. Blair had me on her show when it was called Punks in Suits. It has taken on a new name because she took on a huge life shift, a huge gamble, a brilliant one, interestingly enough, called A Brilliant Gamble, and changed the name of her show to A Brilliant Gamble because that's what she's all about. And she's going to talk in this episode about what she figured out through these big risks, these big gambles, these chances she's taken on herself, how to do it, how to grow from it, and how to make it sustainable. Now, who is she and what's she all about? Well, first of all, she's really embraced her gray hair. So that's a, a big part of everything she talks about. But she went gray. That wasn't really the big gamble. That, that just happened. And then she took her daughter out of school, sold her house, bought an RV, got passports for the dogs, and hit the road. And she would call it a midlife crisis, maybe, but she also recognizes there's purpose in it, there's direction, there's an outcome she's working towards, her growth she's working towards, and this is what she calls her brilliant gamble. Blair's pretty amazing. She created this really successful business uh, as a consultant, as a speaker, as a coach, helping businesses, helping leaders create their path forward, find their energy. And that all came out of her first brilliant gamble, where she gave up on a very successful career as a BBC journalist to uh, become one of the first certified coaches in Europe at the ripe young age of 29, nearly 20 years ago. So coaching, you know, very common these days, really not back then. And she took this huge leap and made a very successful life out of it. But then to take another leap, picking up, getting in a, a little camper van traveling all over the UK and Europe with her young daughter and having experiences, living through the world, and still keeping her business up, still making a living, but living in life. She learned a ton in the process. She shares that. She shares how she did it, what she learned, the whole nine, here today on the Do It A podcast. I'm so thankful to have Blair here. Let's jump right into the show. Blair Palmer, thank you so much for joining me all the way from across the pond Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is um, this is neat for me because we talked uh, maybe 
I'm trying to think when we did the interview for your show, probably a year and a half ago, maybe it was a while ago. And it was before, before one of the key reasons why you're here now, but that's kind of the thing is you've been, you're in a totally different place. I mean, geographically, you've been in many different places, but you've been through this huge shift that sort of keeps the theme going that I just, I want to dig into that. I want to dig into how you've picked things up and moved forward, how you've taken the leaps in your life leaving, um, you know, when things seem so comfortable and pushing ahead and what you've gotten out of that and, and grown in so many ways. I think that's incredibly exciting and scary. And some people are probably sitting there saying, oh, but I could never do that. And I think that's just it is no one can ever do it until you just do it. And so I want to I want to understand the motivation, the reasoning and and what you got out of all of it so much more. If that works for you. Sure. Yeah. Where do you want me to start? Well, give us a, a high level. Who are you in a nutshell today? Well, today my life is, I mean, as you say, it's unrecognizable from uh, 12 months ago in a lot of ways. In some ways, not. I, I've been running my coaching business for, at that time, I'd been running it for 18 years. Now I've been running it for 19 years. Um, in that sense, things have been taking over. But about a year ago, a little bit longer than that, uh, when I made the decision, but life was, um, I just felt stuck. I mean, I think like a lot of people, you get to a certain point in your life, maybe more than once, where you feel, is this it then? You know, is this the way I'm going to live? Is this just how our days and weeks are going to be until you know, and maybe until my daughter leaves home or until some other event happens to me, is that, is this going to be the way it is? And I felt like good as it was in a lot of ways, it was, it was kind of boring and mundane, even though, you know, I ran my own business and we had lived in a nice house and we had a nice lifestyle and all of that, but it was just boring. I mean, you know, you do a thing for, for long enough and no matter how fun it is it becomes dull and um i felt i really needed to shake it up and to do something bold something in a sense out of character for me um and that was sell the house buy a motorhome an rv and set off on a on a travel adventure with my daughter and my dogs and that's you said in a sense because that's not the only time you've made bold leaps, but this was this was really big. And I think, especially because you weren't alone, a lot of people would say, "Well, but if I didn't have a kid, or if I didn't have this, or or I didn't have pets, you had those things, and somehow you made it work, and you're here today." So it it is possible despite all of those well, but you know, kind of pushbacks that people have. Yeah, I think there's always a reason. There's always multiple reasons not to do something. Um, and sometimes those are good reasons, you know, sometimes the timing is not right. You have, you have to take notice of that, but being a, being a single mom has never been a reason for me not to do something. And, um, I guess what, what is unusual about it was my life stage. So, you know, a lot of people go on a travel adventure as you, as you say, you know, they're young or they're single, um, or, you know, they're taking a gap year from from their work, some, something like that. They that's what they do. But I'm a mid forties um, single mum with my own business and trying to keep everything together for my family. You know, I'm the only income bringer, 
Um, and so to kind of blow it all apart um, at that point and do something so radical, which, you know, may or may not have worked. I mean, there was no guarantee that I could keep my business running while we were traveling. It was an experiment, but it, but it was an experiment to see. I mean, this this might um, this might resonate with a lot of people. You know, you end up getting into a habit where you're working eight, 10 hours a day checking your emails first thing in the morning after you've clocked off for the day, you know, while you're making dinner or while you're watching TV and then while you're getting ready for bed, um, weekends, holidays, all of that kind of thing. So you're always on. Yeah. And I really felt like I needed to break that habit. I, I really felt like I don't want this to be the way I am. I don't want to be like all those people that do this, but I'm not going to be able to wean myself off in a gentle way. I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to make it impossible for me to live this way by taking away everything that makes it easy to do it like this. Was that about knowing yourself or is that a general rule? Like what led you to that conclusion that it had to be a sort of rip the bandaid off moment? I think we all like to believe that we are um, that we are self-motivated and that we are towards motivated. So, you know, we, we see in the future something that we want. And we build a really powerful picture of it and we really connect with it at an emotional level and all the things. We have our vision board, all this stuff that people are supposed to do. And that that is somehow enough to make it happen. That and willpower is enough. And I actually think it's not enough. (laughs) Not to do something that's hard. Actually, to do something that's hard, I think the status quo has got to be so uncomfortable that the pain of change is less painful than the pain of staying still. Ah, interesting. So was it about recognizing that the status quo was so uncomfortable or making it worse? Like, do you have to make it It uncomfortable or just seeing the discomfort itself? It wasn't bad enough. It it was sustainable the way it was. But once we were living on the road, you know, if you're going to drive, I mean, on some days we drove, you know, 350, 400 kilometers a day uh, in the sweltering heat. Um, you can't check your email. Yeah. I mean, you, you just simply cannot. You can't take a call. You don't know if you're going to have signal. You're going to be really, you know, pedal to the metal kind of thing, you know, driving down the down the motorways of Europe. You're not able to check your email. Um, if you're in a campsite or you're, you're wild camping or something, you probably don't have any signal. So you can't be on a conference call. You can't do the emails. You, you can't do any of those things. So all, all of that is taken away from you. And in fact, even when we were in some really beautiful Airbnbs, I always checked in advance to see whether these places had good internet because internet is critical to my business, um, as it is to most people these days. And they would always say, yes, very good internet, very good internet. And we'd get there and it wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't streaming quality. It was okay if what you wanted to do was check your emails three times a day. But if you wanted to do a recording like this, or you wanted a host as I do um, classes online or do coaching via Skype or any of those things, have a, have a pitch meeting. It wasn't strong enough for that. So that, that there were a lot of things that I could have done I, that I just couldn't do most of the time. I was, for, I was forced to, to find ways to work maybe a maximum of two or three hours a day because there just wasn't the opportunity to do more. So what happened as a result of that on the business side? I mean, I, I watched on the personal side and the experiences that you and your daughter had and the things that you did, and that all looked amazing. And you put out some great content, written content over the period, but 
to all the the video based kind of things, the telephony based kinds of things, what happened to that part of your business? Well, a couple of things were happening. So one was that I was creating an online program and that online program required video. Um, so I was recording a lot of video and very, very slowly uh, transferring it over to my team back in the UK who were then editing it and sticking it up online uh, for the course participants. So um, it was possible, but you had to basically, you know, if you're using something like we transfer from my house now, I can transfer a video in, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, something like that. With this, we would, I'd, I'd press, press send and then we'd go to the beach and, you know, six hours later, I'd come back and the thing was still transferring, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was going to get there. So what, what I had to, um, I had to be much more patient and I had to allow myself to say, that thing is transferring. If I do anything else using the internet, I'm just going to slow it down. So we need to not be here. We need to go out. Um, and uh, so that was very important. And then in terms of that, that lesson of just patience and just letting things go at a slower pace was very important. And then as far as clients, you know, we, we found workarounds. I mean, we were in one house in the north of England. We did a bit of travel around the UK as well as Europe. We're in a house in the north of England where there was no internet and no phone, even though both had been promised. Yeah. And so I ended up renting an office space for a week in the city. And each morning, my daughter and I would head off to the office space. And it was horrible. It was a white windowless box, um, you know, but it had really good internet. So we would spend four hours, five hours in there doing all the things we need to do, like madly working through everything that required internet connection. And then then we'd walk away and we'd sit, well, carry on tomorrow. Whatever isn't done today, we'll have to do tomorrow. And it was a very, very good discipline. And and now I'm back. Um, I, I just do not do those eight or 10 hour days. I, I just, I, my business doesn't seem to require it. Um, in the way that I felt like it required it 12 months ago. Just uh, stopping doing a lot of things turns out to have been fine. And and it, and it reinforces a belief that I have, which is, you know, 60 or 70% of what we do isn't making a difference. The question is, which 60 or 70%? Yeah. <laughs> and this allowed me to find out. This allowed me to test that. That's that's really interesting that, I mean, going back to the point you were saying before is it took forcing the discomfort in a lot of ways or seeing it for what it is, because otherwise we do just carry on sort of bumbling through doing the same things and being frustrated, but not seeing any path you had to, you had to expose it. But I was going to ask what about today and how is that translated? It sounds like you're trying to carry those lessons forward. Do you think that's at risk? Could you see yourself, you know, two years from now? slowly eking back into the old ways or have you found a way to defend that and, and instill it? It is easier now to slip back into bad habits, but it's not completely easy. And there are a few reasons for that. So when we decided to come back um, from our travel adventure, um, we didn't just move into a normal house and a normal street. We, we moved into a homestead, a small holding. So we have here I don't know. Do you work in acres in America? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we have about two and a half acres now here. 
Um, and I have to look after that two and a half acres. We currently don't have any livestock, but we will. Uh, very shortly in the new year, we'll get our, our chickens. And then and we're, my daughter and I are going on an alpaca course. So oh, we'll nice. learn about alpaca. So we get some to my bag. We're growing vegetables here. So I simply can't. I haven't got time to do eight or 10 hours of, of desk work because I've got outside jobs that yeah. need to be done. Um, in addition, uh, I've been homeschooling my daughter for about a year and a half. This started before our trip, although it was it was that that, that made me think, hang on a minute. I'm homeschooling. We don't have to. We, we don't have the school run. We don't have to be here. We can go anywhere because we've yeah. got this freedom. Um, so that was a real help. So I also have to be available for my daughter in a way that maybe if she was at school, I could, you know, completely bathe in all the work there is to do and not be interrupted. But I have to I have to teach her. I mean, I have to take her places. We, she's got she needs me during the day. And uh, that stops me from lapsing into those same patterns. So I've 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 done the same thing. I've made it impossible to do the wrong thing mm. by putting in place sort of you know such high barriers to doing the wrong thing that I end up doing the right thing despite myself. Yeah, and at some point it becomes more of the the ingrained habit, or we hope it does. Yes, but, but yes. the world and, will always and, threaten and I, that. Yeah, and and I and I feel like you know my tolerance for those low, those high hours has also reduced. So if I do, and I mean, I still run workshops, I still give speeches, I still travel for work. Um, and so I have to be able to do a 12 hour day or a 15 hour, sh- you know, wake up very early in the morning, drive to the airport, get on a plane, go to Switzerland, um, do a coaching session or a speech or something, get to the airport, get on another plane, get back, drive back. You know, that's 15 hours. Um, And uh, I I can still do it, but I think I used to have more of a tolerance for it. And now I really feel it. And um, that's also a when I've done a 15 hour day like that, what I used to do is the next day I used to sit at my desk for 10 hours and do, a, you know, a proper and inverted commas day's work. And now I think, no, I did 15 hours yesterday. I'm probably not going to do anything today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's, that's really, um, that's a really profound realization that those kinds of days should be the exception, not the trigger to bring you back to that being the norm. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing where, it's like it's better if you don't know what you're missing. So one, once you get exposed to a better way of doing things, it's worth the efforts to protect that because you you, you know better. And, you know, I'm, I'm in that space right now is to see myself in a – I don't think I've ever had a 9-to-5 job, but 9-to-5 and then some, you know, the, the 50 to 80-hour corporate kind of grind work um, that has been in, in my history – when I've seen the other ways of living, like when people ask me, what's the best part of your career? I said it wasn't when I was unemployed training for a marathon because my days were a hundred percent mine. And I spent so much of that time thinking and reflecting and cause there's nothing else to do when you're running. Um, it's, you know, that's what I look back on most fondly. And I don't remember any of the, like, how are we going to pay the bills? And those worries aren't part of the memory stream because it's about, well, I had the, the word is control is ultimately what I think I'm coming back to. And I'm, I'm curious about where does control sit in this whole brilliant gamble expanse that you've been on? Yeah, I think there is a sense of wanting to be in control of your life. Although interestingly, um, it's a little bit more chaotic than it used to be. I mean, there's something very controlling about 
being glad to see the back of your daughter when she goes off to school so you can have the day to yourself, yeah. you know, completely indulging in your work. There's a high level of kind of control freakery in that. Yeah. Um, so, so it's definitely more chaotic. Um, I have to get much more used to interruptions and um, unpredictable things and just being willing to say, okay, I'm putting that down. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not finished it, but I'm putting it down because I have something else I need to do or someone else needs me. Um, so in that way, it's not more in control. But what feels like it's more in control is my lifestyle. So from a from a bigger picture, I feel now like I've chosen my life mm. in a way that in the past I felt like I was being forced to live and work in a particular way. Um, you know, I look around, I look around, and there's there's very little in my life at the moment. There's always some stuff. You know, we've got some illness in the family that is not of my choice, and um, you know, so that makes me sad sometimes. But when I look around my life in in general terms, I think this is I've chosen all of this, and uh, and it's really working for me. And in that sense, I feel a, a high degree of control. Yeah, I think that's a. a- good point to make because we don't ultimately we never control everything and when i hear people like i just need to get through blank and then i'll be good and then i'll that's not what life is about so waiting for life to allow you to do as you please versus taking the the reins and and taking action to make it as close to that as possible and to try to control what you can and respect what you can't and figure out how to fit that in that's really the path it's not just wait and see till the window opens no, I mean, that. in fact, that was one of my first lessons that, that I learned on the road. I was really keen to see what would I learn, because what I knew, um, although I didn't know it as powerfully before as after I went, but what I knew is that just by changing my situation, I wouldn't automatically feel like a different person. I mean, yeah, I did for a few weeks. I felt like I was on holiday for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But then you start feeling like yourself again. And, and that first that lesson was about. Um, changing your situation doesn't change your state. You know, you can change all the circumstances around you and you can make big, bold decisions, but in the end, you still take yourself with you. And unless you, um, unless you're willing to change from within and make and consciously change and intentionally change your state, just changing your situation won't do it. And so changing your situation doesn't change your state, but it does expose the state you're in. And as it turned out, the state I was in was a sort of midlife crisis, um, existential angst. Um, you know, the, it turned out I was really, really frazzled. And I realized that because when I took away everything that I thought was the cause of my frazzling feelings, I was still frazzled. So I couldn't blame the long hours and I couldn't blame the mundane lifestyle. And I couldn't blame the fact that the garden was too small for the dog and that was stressing me. I couldn't blame anything. So it must be coming from within. And then I realized, well, uh, okay, so now I have to work on the frazzlement within me, not the circumstances. But the other big lesson was you won't really know what this journey is about until you go on it. And, and we call that you won't know until you go. So, you know, you can sit at home and think, if only this were different, or if only that were different, I'll wait until this period passes, or I'll wait until this event occurs, and then I'll make a change. Well, you're going to be waiting forever. You you won't know what is required of you, what the opportunities are, um, what this journey is going to be about, what you're capable of. You won't know any of those things unless you 
press the go button. You sitting at home trying to, I mean, a lot of people say, um, well, you know, doing this thing, let's say, you know, going traveling or starting my own business. um, I just don't have the confidence right now. So I'm going to work on my confidence. And then when I'm feeling more confident within myself, then I'm going to do my business or go traveling, whatever. Going traveling or doing a business is the thing that's going to make you confident. (laughs) That's the thing that you don't start off confident. You do the thing and then the confidence follows. Um, And uh, waiting around to feel confident or for everything to be lined up before you go just means you'll never go. Yeah, it's so funny because that's before we we become uh, responsibility laden adults. That's that's a lot of how we do the biggest things in our lives, like learning to walk. You know, if if every child before they could speak often decided like, oh, I'm going to wait until I know how to walk before I try to walk because then I won't fall. We'd never walk. And the same thing with talking and with, you know, reading and you, you have to try to learn to do it before you can do it. It doesn't work the other way around. But when we become adults, we start making this really it's not just about confidence and, and taking action, but we make these decisions that. I don't know if it's risk aversion or the way our our ability to sort of dream and wonder has been reshaped by responsibilities and all the must-haves around us. Um, but if you reflect or, or watching a child is such a brilliant way to do it. It's like I, I marvel at the way my son's mind works, the things he takes joy in. And I'm like, I I couldn't see myself feeling that way today. So I'm going to take inspiration from the fact that his you know unadulterated mind is is seeing that possibility and just going for it whereas i'd be like oh no i can't do that it's interesting that adults are less capable in that sense of just dreaming and going for it we need more structure we need more preemptive answers that you can't have unless you do it yeah i mean i think i think we're so we become really bogged down with beliefs about ourselves and about the world our place in the world how the world works and we think that those things are real. Yeah. I mean, the, the you know, fear of failure and or fear of success, sometimes both. I mean, d- d- unfortunately, sometimes both. Fear of failure and or fear of success is such a big thing for adults um, in a way that, you know, for kids, they it doesn't it's never mattered if they failed because they always they either mastered the thing in the end or they decided it wasn't for them and they chose something else. Um, whereas by the time we get to adulthood, this fear about failing or about succeeding, leaving people behind us, being judged for our success, um, alienating people, uh, all of these things really can get in the way. The truth is that for most people, I mean, I'm always in favor of a worst case scenario plan. So I think you want to know what really failing looks like and reduce your chances of that happening, but also have a have a sort of safety net. Um, for us, selling the house meant that we had cash. Yeah. And so if we had come back and my business was in a real state because I hadn't been able to do what I hoped to do while we were traveling, um, I could have dipped into that for a bit. So, you know, it, the financial security was there to a certain extent. So do your worst case scenario plan for sure. But but most of our fears about failure are unfounded. Mm. If a thing doesn't, if it doesn't work out, you'll find a way to fix it, or you'll have another idea. You know, this isn't going to be the last good idea you ever have. 
Um, that, that's, I mean, that's what's happening with this, with one of the programs I've created, you know, we're getting feedback, we're constantly tweaking it, content's really good, but some of the technology we've used hasn't worked for people who are changing things around, doing some different kinds of marketing to get the word out there, you know, we're just tweaking and adapting as we go. The only time you really have failed is if you stop playing the game. Mm. You know, as, as long as you're, if you imagine a game of snakes and ladders, as long as you're throwing the dice, the, 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 the dice will fall where they will fall. That's nothing you can do about that. They fall on a six, you move six places, it happens to be a ladder, up you go, fantastic. You throw again, you get you know four, you happen to get a snake, down you go. When you're at the bottom of the snake, you've only failed in the game if you don't throw the dice again. Um, so you just have to keep throwing, you know, until you, well, there is no end really. Yeah. <laughs> in this game of snakes and ladders, there is no end. You just keep throwing the dice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's well said. You know, one of the things I wanted to to hit on was, was this decision this this word has a negative connotation. I don't in, I don't mean it that way. But was this an aberration, or is this a little bit of who you are? Because it's not the first time that you you had this very stable, successful career before, and you went off to do your own thing. And that's a bit of a brilliant gamble and a you know less traveling base, but totally different approach. Do you think some people are just wired this way, or is this something that because you you've lived through it a, a number of times? Yeah. So I have done this a few times. So, uh, you know, I could have become a lawyer. I have a law degree. I could have gone the safe route, but instead I went into journalism and worked for the BBC. Um, I could have carried on at the BBC, but instead, after a decade of that, I started my own business as a coach. You know, this was 20 years ago when coaching was brand, brand new. Yeah. Um, I could have carried on living in London, but um, I decided, I was single then without, without a family, decided to move to the countryside. A lot of people save that decision until they're doing it with a partner or, you know, husband or wife or whatever. Um, uh, and then this, um, and, uh, and, and well, then the travel and then the small holdings. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> there's the new one now. Uh, so I think a couple of things, are, are, in my experience of coaching people, there are certainly people who are more, uh, risk tolerant, you know, they're, they're more likely to say to, to, to not worry. Security isn't as high a need for them as it is for some other people. There are other needs that are more powerful than security. In my case, that is true. So whilst I do desire security, I don't desire it so much that I'll compromise on some other stuff. But I don't think that it's that it's ever too late to break away from a label that you've had about yourself. So let's say, I mean, I, I'm coaching a lady at the moment who's been working not only in the same industry, but the same company for 25 years. And she's worked her way up right to the most senior level. She now sits on the board. And it's very convenient there. She, it's near to where she lives. It's near to where her kids go to school. Um, she has a really high level job you know, highly respected, well-paid. But she's now at the point where she wants to do something a bit different. She wants to take all that experience and start her own business. There's no reason why she can't do it. There's no reason why just because she spent 25 years in one company, in, the, in one industry, that she shouldn't, even just once in her life, take a left turn. 
Um, she might decide, and this is what's happened to me, that she has an appetite for it. <laughs> and that might not be the one and only time she does it. But I don't think it's ever too late. And I do think that something happens to us um, at around midlife. I mean, there are, there are various points where this can happen. But I do think there's something that happens to us around midlife where we have this, uh, we wake up to the fact that time is limited and that we're more than halfway through our careers and possibly more than halfway through our lives. And if we're not going to do something for ourselves, something that gives us meaning and joy and challenge and all those things now, when exactly are we going to do that? Yeah. You know, because in 15 years, we'll, I'll be in my 60s. And Sure, I might want to start a new business in my 60s, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it then. I don't know what my health will be like, but I know that right now I can. Mm -hmm. So now's the time. Yeah. Do you think it's it's about tolerance for or aversion to risk, or is it about your ability to see opportunity and your sense of your ability to seize on it? Like, is it about the, the fear side of it and the stability side, or is it about the potential side? That's a really good question. I mean, I think it will be different for each person. You know, yes, being able to see opportunities and take them is part of it. I think that most people have more opportunity than they realize. Yeah. And that by talking it through and exploring it, they can understand that they do. So if we take home ed for an, for an example, home education or homeschool, um, I always thought that this, I mean, it never occurred to me to do it. I had no interest. I didn't didn't really even know about it. Um, and I certainly, when I started to learn about the fact that people did this and it was legal and, you know, all of that, I thought, but I couldn't do it because I run a business and I'm a single mom. And I can't sit at home with my kid all day teaching her because I've got a business to run. Um, and so for years, knowing people that did it, I thought, that's no, not for me. And then when my daughter was unhappy at school and I didn't feel like she was really thriving, I looked into it again and I found a way that this would work for us despite being a single mom business owner. Um, and I realized that there's there is no there is no category of person for whom this cannot work slightly back to front questions yeah. statements but there is no category of person for whom something like this can't work um and that will be true of anybody what you have to do for, for anything mm. what you have to do though is you have to start by instead of believing it's not possible you have to start by believing that it is or at least playing with the 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 device that that it is and you start from places that if this was possible, how would I do it? Not what are all the reasons that I can't? Yeah. If it were possible for me to start my own business at 55, how would I do it? If it were possible for me to work four hours a day, how would I do it? Um, if it were possible for me to, to up sticks and travel with my family in an RV for six months or a year or the rest of my life, how, how would I do it? And, and that's when you start to see opportunities. And it might be there are a few steps you have to go through first in order to make it happen. Um, but if you all you have to do is a bit of research, 
to into whatever it is that you want to do that's exciting to you, your own brilliant gamble. All you have to do is do a little bit of research and discover the wide variety of people from all different circumstances who are doing the thing that you want to do. And if you're if you're really keen, you talk to them and you make connections and you say, how have you made this happen? How, you know, um, I know a family that travel full time. They run their business on the road, two kids, two parents um, and a hamster. And, <laughs> and and they have been doing this for about four or five years. They have no intention of stopping. I know people who live off grid who've, who've decided we're going to be completely self-sufficient. They've made that happen. Um, I mean, you know, you're a vegan. I know people who say, oh, I could never be a vegan. And then they think, well, I hang do. on, if I could be vegan, yeah, yeah, if I could be a vegan, would I make that happen? And they do. So be inspired by people around you and people that you can connect with and books you can read and not so much people's Instagram feed because I think it's a little <laughs> fake. Yeah. Real people really doing it and find out how they did it. And maybe yeah. it's possible to do it that way too. I love that. Um, that is about possibility. And it's what I'm, what I'm thinking in the back of my mind is you wouldn't Google, how do I not successfully homeschool my child? You, cause you're starting from this negative place. You're starting from a place of failure. What are you Googling for that? What are you trying to find out? You already know how to not make it happen. You've done it. So <laughs> frame, frame the search from the perspective of succeeding and, you know, thinking of that as sort of the last domino, what are all the pieces I need to get in place to make that happen? Cause invariably someone's done it we're very unlikely to be the first who's done anything, or maybe we are, but something similar and analog is out there that can inspire us. It's all about framing from possibility and, and then you're looking for solutions and facilitation and not failure. I don't, you don't Google for failure. Well, yeah. Some people might, and I you suppose. know, one of, one of the things that I, I always do when I have a, a brilliant gamble idea is I join one or more appropriate Facebook groups mm -hmm. And uh, so people can't see, but I have completely gray hair, completely white. Um, and I decided a few years ago to stop dyeing it and to let my natural color come through, um, by which time it was almost entirely white. Like this. And um, I joined a gray and proud <laughs> Facebook group. And, you know, I thought I was asking such good questions. I thought, that, you know, no one is ever going to have asked what do I do while the, you know, it looks so terrible while the gray is growing in. What what products do you recommend? Of course, once I was in the group for a little while, everyone asked that. That's their first question. Yeah. So what you realize, and same with home ed, um, all the home ed groups that I joined, I was asking, you know, I know, uh, I know this is a cliche, but what do I do about socialization? And of course, everyone weighs in with, well, actually, home ed's very social. In fact, we hardly ever home. It's really not, shouldn't be called home ed because we're never home. We're always out in this group and that group and blah, blah, blah. Um, and school isn't actually social because you're always told to be quiet in class and not talk to people. So uh, it's not terribly social. Um, socializing is bullying in too many instances. Bullying, yeah. you picked on and told that you're a geek and a nerd. Yeah. You know, that's the... That's the socialization from school. So that, that was my first question. Turns out it's everyone's first question. Yeah. And so what you realize when you, when you join these groups is that everyone has the same questions as you and everyone who's doing it had the same questions before they embarked on it and they all got good answers to those questions and off they went. So get answers, good answers from people who are doing it. In the case of home ed, 
there are going to be a lot of people that tell you you can't do it or that it's illegal or you're going to ruin your child's chances. They're not the people to ask. Yeah. You ask the people who are doing it and who are making a success of it and get your questions asked, answered because you won't you won't be the first one. And, and then later on, you can be the one supporting people and, and encouraging people, which is, you know, another lesson I learned. You, you, if you're alone, you'll go home was the lesson. Uh, you know, if you're trying to do this on your own without support of people who believe in it and who've maybe been there before, you'll give up. So join the groups involved in the conversation, ask the questions. And, and when you're having a down day and you're doubting yourself, those people will be there to pick you up. Um, this isn't a profound point, but it's an important one on the socializing thing is, uh, my son goes to a karate training place that has all kinds of different dance, fencing, martial arts, all sorts of gymnastics, aerial yoga, like lots of different activities. They, I think it's 20% less for homeschooled kids. They have a discounted rate just to, so it's easier to find something to be like, oh, here's one of those points of socialization. And they're not alone in doing that. It is, it, it is a much more common thing than it certainly ever was. The tools are there in so many new ways. I mean, every top university really has put, I mean, MIT was, was the first in the U.S., but they put tons of their coursework out that high schools, you know, colleges, I guess, for the U.K. are using anyway. So why wouldn't you just use the same thing? The coursework's there. The structure's there. The community is there to pull your kids into. There's lots of options to do it. It is a, it is a different world than it used to be. And I'm finding yeah. that those kids are actually the ones who are often the most well-adjusted, certainly quite brilliant. Um, you know, they, all the things of like, oh, they're going to be weird. Well, not not that I've seen. And we actually have a number of friends who have gone that route. And their kids are just wonderful human beings, so knowledgeable, so curious, happy. I mean, just as a parent, would you want your kid to be happy? You know, that's a that's a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, I really see why it's growing. You know, the education system really hasn't evolved since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It's still really designed to produce factory workers and factory bosses. That That's what it was. And to quell revolution, in fact, that was what it was first intended to do, um, was to, to give people enough education that they wouldn't um, rebel against uh, against the king in, in case the king of Prussia. That's where it all goes back to. Um, but um, so it really hasn't evolved. And and in fact, the home ed journey for me has opened my eyes to so much about what's wrong with how we work. You know that that we're trained in school to then work in the way we end up working, a way that ends up sort of killing us, or certainly killing our soul. Mm. Um, and we learn how to do that at school: how to sit quietly, follow instructions, regurgitate what we've been told, please the teacher, line up, um, move when the bell rings. Um, you know, all of these things. You can see how they were designed for people to be to prepare them for a factory. And it's still doing that now. So when I see do a lot of coaching in, in corporate environments, big, really, really big international businesses. And I really see how that way of being uh, um, acclimatized to a particular way of working then is reinforced. So when you get into the workplace, you want to please your boss. You want to regurgitate what you think you're supposed to say. Um, you sit quietly at your desk, you hand in your 
report or whatever, and you're yeah. hoping for an A, you know, back from teacher who's actually in this case your boss. And what all the bosses are saying is, why aren't people empowered? Why aren't they taking ownership? Why aren't they stepping up and and taking the lead? Well, because they've been trained not to do that. And so have you, you know, so those guys have got to start to unpick, in some cases, 50 years of being trained in a particular way, in order to then help their their staff lower down to think differently about work and about finding meaning and purpose and tacking, tapping into their true passions. Um, so many people do a job that they don't really like because yeah. it's a cure, you know. Um, and what if there's another reason to work? What what if there are other reasons to to go to work every day? And so I think if we can track that back, if we could do something about the education system, and it wasn't just the home ed community and a few radical schools rethinking it, it was more widespread, then we'd be producing people, the sorts of people we really need in business, mm. as opposed to people that would be suited to work in a factory, but yeah. but can't cope with the the pace of change, the the requirements to innovate, to iterate, to think outside the box, to empathize. All these things are completely overlooked yeah. at school. Well, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And the, the thing that I'm left with is having had the honor of being a boss to a lot of people, the ones who are like that still, they're unsatisfied. So they're, they're ticking the boxes, they're, you know, following all the movements they're supposed to follow and delivering the nice packaged up report to get their little A. Um, but they're the ones who are at some point waking up saying, you know, I've been asleep at the wheel. What, what the hell is all this? And I have no idea who I am or how I'm supposed to figure any of this out there. So we may be training people that way, but the, the sort of human spirit within does not want it. And at some point, it's going to break out of that. And and we're taught also, well, it's work. That's why it's called work. You're not going to like it. You just need, you know, just get on with it. Or I I worked there for 30 years. And, you know, from our parents, it's just what you got to do. So we're trained to believe you're probably not going to enjoy your work. But I hear all this pushback around millennials. And they're always um, self, you know, they're entitled. And they want more. And they're not happy with it. It's like, well, maybe that piece of them is calling out. And it's just doing it earlier than it did in you. And it's not as stifled, perhaps. And and you don't like that because it's probably saying something about you. Now, it doesn't mean their behavior is right or any of that. That's a different issue. But I think it's about that human spirit actually calling out and saying, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they're seeing um, a change that's required in the world and in and in business um, that cannot be satisfied by that way of this old fashioned way of seeing the, the workplace. You know, we simply cannot have companies full of people just clocking in, yeah. doing hours, in, trying to play the politics and going home. It's, it's, it's not working. So, you know, the companies that I work with, many of them are finding it more and more difficult to make a profit because you know, because it is, <laughs> because they've they've cut everything back to its absolute maximum. Yeah. You know, things about efficiency. There's no people doing a job that used to be done by three or four people, and now it's all on them. There's no time to think. There's no time to create. And every year they have to hit higher targets with less resource. There comes a point where it's not possible. And so 
You can't iterate from there. You have to say, okay, hang on a minute. Maybe the foundations of this is what is flawed. Maybe we need to go back to look at those foundations. And I think that the millennials and, if I might say, you know, older people like me see see the um, see the that it's not working and that it can't work, and that if we still want to be able to produce um, life-changing drugs and build airplanes and make TV, great TV and all of that, all the things that these companies do, we might have to unpick quite a lot, yeah. get back to why is this company even here? What What is the purpose it serves in the world? And and let's rebuild it from that rather than trying to find an extra 0.2% EBITDA, yeah. you know? Yeah, and and company substitute in the word yourself, and then it's the oh, same well, exercise. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And in yeah. fact, you know, maybe companies can't do it um, without individuals doing it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is great. I I do feel like well, a you're not that old because we probably fall into the same bucket of uh, survey respondents, the age category. So we're not going to accept that <laughs> yeah. you're old. So um, it's just wisdom that. This is what when people ask me, you know, who age wise, who's the audience for your show or for your coaching work or your your speaking or whatever. And, and I, I stumble because the wrong answers will everyone. But I do mm -hmm. actually believe there's an aspect of everyone in what you and I are talking about right now, because that needing to understand yourself, needing to see possibility, evaluating your comfort with risk and whether you're going with a. I just need the perfect timing or, you know, you need and should be doing better, but you know, do you have it in you to take the leap or not? And have you built the structure to support that? Are you searching for how to be a failure at something? Or are you looking for what you want? And then how do you back into the success to it? That applies to everyone. I don't care what age you are, whether you're working on your own or in a, in a career or in school or whatever. It, this is about, again, that, that sort of human need to move our lives ahead and how in touch we are with that. Yeah. Yeah. You you're you're completely right. It's it's not about it's not about age. It's not about generation really. Uh, I I actually think there's something is a kind of movement in the culture where the world is just changing yeah. and and we will need to change too and that's going to affect us no matter what our age is. Well, so I'm, I I want to come to the the name brilliant gamble before I let you go which I love. And I told you that when you first shared the the idea with me um, before you were announcing it all, because we recorded like right before you made the mm -hmm. leap. Um, I love the yeah. word brilliant. I love the notion of brilliant gamble, but the word gamble I've actually gotten stuck on lately as maybe a bit ironic or unfortunate, but I, I get, I get the intention of it, but it, the idea is it shouldn't actually be a gamble. That's the stuff we should be doing. And the fact that we're rolling a dice on ourselves, on our passion, on the direction we want to be pursuing, it's a bit unfortunate. But that's, I mean, that's the reality of it. And so maybe we need that wake up. Yeah, I, I think it's because it feels like a gamble. Yeah. Whether it is, I mean, it's just as much of a gamble to to stay still and um, and to ignore all the that's signs right. that you need to change. That's extremely dangerous. Um, you know, making no decision at all is often the worst decision that you can make. Um, so so, but it does feel like a gamble because yeah. it's going against conventional wisdom and uh, received wisdom. You know, that says. Don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or as yeah. you said before, uh, um, the 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 
the oh, sorry, I just escaped my mind. If it ain't broken, um, oh yeah, this is this is the way life is. What are you trying to mess with? Right. Hundreds of years of people going to work because they have to earn a living. What makes you think that you're better than that? Yeah. You know. Um, so, so it does feel like a gamble in that sense, but that's why it's a brilliant one yeah. because it, it, this idea that we could place, we could bet on ourselves, that we could bet on ourselves as being the best place to place our bet. Um, that is brilliant. And that is much more brilliant than allowing other people to determine what to throw the dice on our behalf you know i i i'd much rather <laughs> have the dice in my hands than to hand them over to someone else to throw yeah that i completely agree with blair that's brilliant stuff um and i mean that maybe in the american sense of the word brilliant where we don't use the word quite as much as the brits do but we overuse awesome, so it's a trade-off. Like, we say awesome for nothing, and for Brits, it's like, if something's awesome, it's it's awe-inspiring, right? I would say, like, yeah. we'd say it like, oh, my shoelace is still tied. That's awesome. It's not, awesome. It's not that profound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, where, can, where can people get a hold of all the additional brilliance that you're putting out there and, and see what you're up to and get more inspiration and, and maybe look at your courses and, and your coaching options? Yeah. And the best place to go is a brilliant gamble.com. Um, that website has got all the course information. And actually, if you were to click on it now and then click on it again in a, in a couple of weeks time, you'll probably see that it's evolving all the time. But the, the, the program, a brilliant gamble online is available now. And if you're really serious about change and you think 2019 is the year that I want to make it happen, but you're not sure how to make it happen or in what area of your life, or you know, as I think would apply to anybody, that it's really tough to do this on your own without support and someone cheering you along. Um, that program is is all the all the tools that I used to 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 make my brilliant gamble and and previous ones and um and also it was created in response to a group of live um pilot participants who were going through their own change so as they needed something i created something for them mm. and that is that's what's on the program so go and check it out at brilliantgamble.com and then all the normal social media brilliant gamble Even on Instagram. twitter on uh, instagram yeah see all the beautiful photos of our trip and all that on there yeah that's great I, and I'll obviously those links will all be in the show notes so people can and should follow them and scroll back through the Instagram. It was very real. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but you, you shared lots of different photos, experiences. And um, yeah, there was a lot of niceness in them and there was maybe more grind to it at times. But there's some, I think, a bit of inspiration for what we could be doing. Just some ideas for, you know, especially parents of younger kids. Hey, have you thought about doing this? It's a great way to teach them out in the real world. Interesting stuff. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I've loved talking about it. Thank you. Are you ready to help me close out the show? Sure. That would be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> today is a new day. Go out and do it. Thank you, Blair. Thank you, Brian. All right, how many of you sent an email to your boss quitting in the course of that show? Hopefully none, but hopefully there's some of you thinking about maybe there's a gamble in you. Maybe there's a different thing you've been thinking about doing with your life 
and you're feeling a bit of inspiration and a bit of structure in how you might do it. Those, those five key lessons that Blair shared, really important. You won't know until you go, right? You got to get out and do it. Changing your situation won't change your state. So, you know, for all those people who are like, if I could just be in a new house or a new city or a new whatever, then I'll be okay. Well, you're still you, so you still have to work on the self. The third one, if you're alone, you'll go home. You need to have support. You need to have community. The fourth, there's no such thing as a balanced life, just a balanced mind. That's really key. And the fifth, rolling the dice is your job. Where it lands isn't. You take the risks and you put in the work to get there. Things may work out one way or the other. You can't control that. There's an unpredictability to the whole thing to change. And that's, that's what makes it a gamble. But it's up to you whether you roll the dice. Words of wisdom, words of inspiration, words of guidance doesn't mean it's for everyone, but it does mean it's a path everyone can consider and some can take. So with that, I will close out the show. You should definitely go check out her podcast, all of it, at abrilliantgamble.com. Go have a listen. Fantastic guests on the show. And Blair does a great job. She knows how to pull out the insights from them. She's great to listen to. So while you're there, you should subscribe. You should follow Blair. And then you should come back over to the Do A Day podcast and do the same thing, right? Of course you should. You should be following me at Brian Falchuk on Twitter, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I don't even know what else. Everything out there. And subscribe to the show and be sure to tell other people about it. There's easy ways to share the show throughout the site. Just have them go to iTunes and type in Do A Day Podcast or my name and they'll get there. Thank you so much for your time. Are you thinking about your own gamble? Maybe you should go out and do it. Take care.